What the fuck? I just saw my name this episode. <laughs> Hello, everyone. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> oh, welcome, welcome, welcome. You are listening to Hunting Pixels, the one and only official video game podcast of Culture Pop. We have quite a show for you today tonight today i don't ever know what to say because we're we're always recording at night but it's dropping at like 4 a.m so is it like this morning Uh, tonight today what is it i think only like two people listen to it in the morning so we'll just say today in general okay to just yeah this day Uh, (laughs) we've got a nice topic of the show for you we're going to be talking about some fantagonists Whoa, <laughs> <Man>. that's awesome. <laughs> that's a whole ass new word. <laughs> Fantagonists. Uh, no, uh, fantastic protagonists. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. This is a train wreck. Uh, in video games. On top of that, we'll be also be talking about the media that we've consumed, the games we've played, and of course, our regularly scheduled picks of the week. I am, of course, your host, the one and only Bebop Man, Josh McMullen, and I am joined, as almost always, by one of my two co-hosts, Dylan Free the Nipple Martin. How's it going? It was going great up until I read that. God. <laughs> you got to feel like nipple. I feel like I always get the good names, so I feel like because Austin wasn't here, I was forced to get this name this time. But this, it is a good name. Feminism. Uh, Equal oh, rights. I don't care about that. <laughs> Let so them booby show. Uh, <laughs> a shirtless stream coming soon. Coming soon. Yeah, I'm gonna start. Uh, I'm gonna get in on that hot tub meta. I feel like I would get more viewers doing that. I'm not even gonna lie. You probably could. Yeah. Well. Uh, let's jump into it. Let's yeah. Let's just jump right in. Speed into run. Uh, <laughs> so I watched a documentary short called Audible. Is it about football? It is. Oh wow! I just guessed. Yeah, uh, but it's also about uh, deaf football. <laughs> they called it Audible. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. like me calling my deaf dog Whisper. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, yeah. So it's a uh, it's a documentary. It's a short documentary that's on Netflix. It's um only about thirty minutes long, maybe forty, but it's about this uh, deaf high school in Maryland, um, who is one of the best high school football teams in the country. Um, and it's about uh, one of their star players, and uh, basically kind of goes through his struggles. Uh, with not only having lost his, you know, his hearing, uh, through meningitis, actually, um, when he was a child, he got meningitis and lost his hearing. Uh, but also it's a, um, uh, he's got some other stuff going on. He's like heading into his homecoming, uh, and he's having issues with like his girlfriend, his best friend in the entire world killed himself. Um, before, uh, the football season started 
And um, on top of all of that, his dad left when he was a child uh, because his dad couldn't deal with the fact that his son, you know, couldn't hear him anymore. Uh, and he's trying to kind of rekindle that relationship. Um, really interesting stuff. Uh, I, I think that it's a really well-made documentary. Um, like there are like for the most part, the sound design, it's all very silent unless it's like actively showing stuff like, uh, there, there's one party scene with the kids in high school and you know, they're partying and they've got the music going on and stuff like that. Um, and there's obviously music playing there, but like for the most part, it's all very like subdued and it's just like the kids talking through sign language or the coaches talking through sign language. Um, there are some like, you know, spoken things like the, the father obviously has some parts. And then, um, uh, a couple of other family members, uh, from like various, you know, families and stuff. They have like some speaking parts, but for the most part, it's, it's very just toned into like the deaf community. And I really enjoyed that. Um, my only real complaint, I think, against it, uh, and, and it's kind of uh, a big one, is that it doesn't feel like a documentary to me. Um, most documentaries, you have a bunch of, like, talking heads and, like, uh, not n- not recreations, but, like, you have, like, like, actual footage of stuff and, like, archival footage and, like, pictures. And y- 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 there's, like, a, h- a whole thing that you get when you think of documentaries and this kind of veered a little bit more into almost i don't want to say lifetime movie but almost um like uh what's the word i'm looking for it veered almost into like recreation if that makes sense. Oh, I know what you're saying can i interject a question real quick yeah is this this is the one on netflix right Uh uh-huh is it really only 39 minutes long? Yeah. That's crazy. Because from how I've been listening in my head, I can see this being um, like a movie length type, like, you know, about two hours, if not like a series or something. For them to convey so much in 39 minutes, that's crazy to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I One of the things that I've noticed with watching these uh, documentary shorts is um, – you either do a really good job with the, with the amount of time that you give your subject or you either um, don't. <laughs> you either do or you, you don't. And um, when we get into Lead Me Home, um, that's something that that's a criticism I have is I, I feel like they it should have been documentary length. I felt like there was more story to tell. But this one. It's 39 minutes and it tells its story perfectly. It wraps it up like really nice and tight and, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, yeah. My, my big complaint is that I feel like part of it, like almost feels like it's a, uh, recreation, um, sort of thing. Like a, again, like a lifetime movie sort of like, it looks like a recreation. It does not look like a documentary. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, other than that though, I thought it was a lot of, uh, I, I mean, I thought it was, a lot of, uh, I don't want to say fun, but it was very engaging and enjoyable to watch. Um, and I, I liked the craft that was going on in it. I, I think it was a really well done 
documentary, and I definitely recommend it. Uh, so far, I think that that's my pick um, for uh, best documentary sort of subject for the Oscars. But okay, yeah, yeah it looks. I mean, it, and it's it looks because it is so short. Anyone could just kind of sit down, have some lunch, and watch it. I mean, it looks very accessible. Then that's in, that's appealing to someone like me because I don't really have a drive to do that. So I kind of, I mean, even though, like you were saying, it's not really a documentary per se. Even though it is, like I could, I could sit down and watch that. Yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah. It, I don't know. I didn't do anything um, this week. Oh, okay. Good. Uh, no, <laughs> I, I mean, I worked and I streamed that that's about it. Right. I, I have nothing else to show for it. Didn't watch anything. Absolutely. Didn't read anything. Listen to some music. Uh, your turn. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next one is another short documentary on Netflix called lead me home. Um, this is all Netflix stuff this week. Interesting. I didn't even think about that when I was putting it together. Um, so (laughs) right. Uh, so lead me home is a documentary that is, uh, primarily based on the, actually, I think it's entirely based on the West coast, but primarily in California, uh, with like one quick, kind of like side step into Seattle. Uh, but it's, it's talking about the homelessness crisis in LA, San Francisco and Seattle. Um, and this, if it were my, like it, it, if it came down to the craft of making a documentary, this I think would be far and away the number one contender for uh, best documentary because this it uses everything at its disposal to tell the story that it's trying to tell. It uses you know the talking heads. It uses like footage following people around. It, it I mean there's all kinds of stuff going on in this, um, and it is a incredibly competently made uh, documentary short. I, I think that it tells its story really well. I think that it is uh, really nicely shot, um, really, really well edited. Um, but my problem with it is it does not feel like it covers the subject fully the way that it should have. I feel like it's uh, somewhere around the same time mark. I think it's somewhere around like 30 to 40 minutes, somewhere in there. And it should have been a feature-length documentary, I think. I think that you could have told these people's stories, and I think that you could have, like, gone way more in-depth with, like, what actually is happening that keeps the crisis kind of, like, going, right? They kind of touch on it a little bit at the end of the documentary. Uh, It's very, very quick. But... It's like uh, a little um, video footage from like one of the uh, the like city council uh, meetings or something like that, and they're talking about um, something uh, something to do with like affordable housing acts or or something. I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but anyway, you get to these like people 
who are sitting there and they are like demanding that their like wants of keeping their neighborhood nice or whatever um, be met as opposed to finding a suitable solution for helping these people get off the streets and get back to a normal life. And I think that like it's in the movie for maybe three minutes. Like, I mean, it is so very, very brief. And I think that just shying away from that almost left me with like a, it almost left like a bad taste in my mouth because I felt like it was going the route of like trying to not put the problem on these people because you like these people, if that makes sense. Like it wasn't actually like celebrities and stuff like that, but it was like the people who live in the Hollywood Hills with those celebrities in this meeting. And it's like, you, you live in LA, don't you? Otherwise you would have shown these people being awful scumbags and not like doing whatever they can to make sure that like their property values stay higher when, you know, you could have shown a lot more of that and dived into that and, and dived into the minutia of like why people voting in these States aren't actually voting for their progressive values. You know what I mean? Like they could have gone a lot more in depth with that. And it almost felt like they chickened out. And that bothered me a lot. Um, and I, I think that pop, I think that what they, the argument against that would be is that they were trying to showcase the lives of the people who are living in like the homeless area. And if that were the case, then why would you bring up that that one little three minute bit of footage at all? Like if you're trying to showcase and empathize with these people on the streets, then why are you showing people who are like the rich people who are keeping them homeless? It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, that's my big, big gripe. Um, I I did kind of feel like there were just a little bit too many shots of like just cityscape. Um, but I think that that kind of like could go like could coincide with a theme of like these people wanting to keep it. Like, I don't know if you know this or not, but like uh, there have been, uh, I forget the exact number, but there have been a number of, um, like proposals in Seattle specifically to create taller buildings and make those buildings more affordable. So then they're not trying to like expand out, uh, like outwards. They're, you know, trying to go upwards or whatever. And people have intentionally shot it down because they don't want to mess with the skyline of Seattle. That's fucked up. That's fucked up. Like that's supremely fucked up. Um, and yeah, so, I don't know. It's uh, I, I. It's a really good documentary. I really enjoyed it. I, I I know I've spent a lot of time shitting on it, like, but I thought it was really informative. I just I wish that it had done better to its subject matter. I, that's a really poor phrasing, but you you get what I'm going for. Yeah, I that one kind of it hurts. 
I'll probably wind up watching this one, maybe even tonight. Um, every time I go to Atlanta, dude, that's all I ever see. Yeah. And I don't know. It's like what I don't know what to do about it. It's like I feel like I should do something, you know, but God, dude, there's a bridge out there in Atlanta where you can just see. I mean, it's people on top of people, literally all homeless, like just trying to survive. And it's sad, man. And it's fucking wintertime right now and it's cold and they're out there and it's just stuff that you don't think about until you're faced with it and you yep. you look at it and that's all I see down there. It's just sad. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll probably wind up watching this one. And that's another short one, right? Yep. Uh, 30, 40 minutes. Yeah. Like you could probably watch both of those back to back in the same amount of time that you could watch uh, the next thing that I'm going to talk about. Yeah. Um, before you start talking about that, right? Uh-huh. Um, I just need you to know that the fajitas are in the pass through, but I need you to 86 the crab cakes. I don't know what that means, but I assume it's a Jeff related thing. <laughs> and so I'm scared. <laughs> god oh dude i love him so much can i just say that like just for a minute yeah i want to say that i love him that's it go ahead okay (laughs) (laughs) but seriously though like he's super uh interactive in not only the discord and fucking creating some of the best pictures i've ever seen but like he's in my chat every day every time one of us streams he's in our chat Mm-hmm. And he's being supportive, even if it's just to give me a view while he goes and, you know, does what Jeff does. He does a lot. <laughs> does a lot. Like one day, I think he brought up my uh, stream and then he left it on just so he could go out and shovel snow because <laughs> he had just got a huge snowstorm. But he's like, here, just pop it in before I go shovel. And I was like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> Living down here in the south, I had to think about that one for a minute. And I was like, oh, okay, right, right. They just got like eight inches of snow in three minutes. Um, But I don't know, man. I I love having him around. He gives us some of the funniest shit ever. I'm just sorry that I spring it on you at the absolute worst time. Oh, man. I'm never expecting it. (laughs) Dude, the Johnny Trans from last episode. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. Anyway, you you watched some horror. Yeah, I watched uh, the Netflix uh, distributed Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Probably film of the year, right? Uh, (laughs) uh, This movie has what I think will probably be my favorite sequence of any movie this year. And it is also maybe going to be the worst movie that I watch all year. I can't wait. Uh, okay. I, before I just tear this movie a new asshole, um, <laughs> let me put it out there. I had so much fucking fun watching this movie. Like it was an absolute blast from probably the 30 minute point all the way to the end. Those first 30 minutes are really a slog to get through. But once Leatherface is like fucking people up, it is so fucking enjoyable to watch. Uh, 
I it has one of the most interesting kills I've seen in a horror movie in in quite some time. It and again, it has my favorite sequence. I, as of right now, my favorite sequence of any movie, but I, I'm almost 100% positive it is going to ride through to the rest of the year because it is just so ridiculous and over the top. And I was like cracking up watching it. It was so much fun to watch. Oh, this movie is fucking atrocious. It is, <laughs> it is everything that Halloween Kills was, but just a little bit worse. Um, so the, really, I guess where I should start is I don't think that this script is any good whatsoever. There is an actual line in the script. I'm not even fucking joking. An actual line in the script is, well, this is what you get with late stage capitalism, folks. <laughs> Who talks like that? Like b- besides people who like l- write those pieces on BuzzFeed and you know all that shit, no one talks like that. Oh, oh none God, of these characters are. F- <laughs> none of these characters are fucking likable at all. Not even the good guys. Like one girl, the I guess you would call her like the quote unquote victim. Uh, ha- like she starts off snotty as all hell and looking down on like the quote unquote rednecks of Texas or whatever. <laughs> and then she does a complete 180, like, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes into the movie, um, where her character just becomes like this empathetic, but, and I'm like, when did that, like, what? what just happened there? You didn't set this character up to be like that at all. If that was going to be her like transformation or whatever, you did that in a movie that I didn't watch because that movie like doesn't (laughs) exist. Literally 20 minutes in, she just completely changes her character. Another character who's like, uh, I guess a, a survivor girl or whatever, I guess she would technically be the final girl of this movie. Um, is so utterly boring. It's like hard to really empathize with her at all. And not only is she incredibly dull, but like she has nothing, like she has nothing to do the entire movie until she becomes the hero at the end. And I just don't care at all. Like they try to ham fist in some, some stuff with her having like this traumatic experience where she was like the victim of like a school shooting and she was like a survivor or whatever. And like it's in there and they could do something interesting with it maybe. But at the end of the movie, she has to overcome her fear of getting shot by shooting a bad guy. Like I don't understand what this script was going for at all. Nothing about it makes any sense. None of it is thematically coherent. Like nothing works in this script at all. It kind of feels like a first draft that someone was like, fuck it. That's good enough. We can spend, you know, $10 million on this. Let's go fucking make it. And that's what happened. I really don't think that any thought went into this whatsoever. On top of that, 
you have some of the most bizarre like choices they have some really awesome practical effects in the movie. Like there's uh, again, that one kill that I, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but it's like the kill that kind of kicks everything off in the movie is so fucking inventive and fun. And like, I've really never seen anything like that. And there is a really awesome practical effect in there, but then it's like ruined when like other parts of the movie are just like, CGI fucking gross, almost plastic looking effects that I'm like, what, what is, what is going on here? You guys, you you had the, the nice practical stuff. Why are you throwing in CGI blood? Like, could you not afford that? I feel like it's more expensive to get CGI artists to like, throw blood in there unless you're using predetermined assets, which is kind of what this fucking looks like. I think that the cinematography is dull. Uh, as some people I've seen online, like on Twitter say, Oh, it's really well shot. I don't think that it is. I think it's kind of like almost like Wes Craven esque in its cinematography. It's very worksman. Like it's just point shoot. Like that's it. There, there isn't a whole lot of uh, attention to detail paid to framing or anything like that. There is one shot in particular that I was watching the movie and was like, in my head, I immediately was like, that's a good shot. I like that. Why haven't they done more of that? Um, yeah, the, I just... I really want to love this movie because it is such a blast once all the fucking mayhem starts. But there is just so, so much bad with it that I kind of can't. I like, I can't separate my finding the bad stuff bad to enjoy the stuff that is legitimately fun. It, I feel the same exact way about Halloween Kills. Halloween kills the movie starts out with like, well, not exactly starts out, but like in the first, probably like 15 minutes of Halloween kills, Michael Myers fucking murders an entire brigade of firemen. And it's just like, what the fuck is happening? This is so much fun to watch, but it's wrapped up in all of this fucking trash and I feel the exact same way about this, except the trash is worse somehow. <sighs> <laughs> I know that you're talking shit, but I kind of want to watch it. <laughs> Dude, it's... Uh, <sighs> if nothing else... Okay, I uh, spoiler alert. Well, semi-spoiler alert. It, it, I'm not going to ruin everything. But the sequence that I'm talking about takes place on a bus and it's about 45-ish, 50-ish minutes into the movie. And uh, it's really short, actually. Uh, It's only like 80 minutes long, I think. Um, So it's a really short, like you could knock it out in a fucking like at dinner time, like if you wanted to. Um, 
But yeah, it's about 45 to 50-ish minutes into the movie. And it is it takes place on a bus. And it is just... I, when I tell you I was cackling, I was fucking cackling. I thought it was so much fun. I gotta watch it. I don't know. I Fuck. Because I was re-watching the trailer while you were talking about it. I don't know, man. I need to I, I need to sit down. It's been a hot minute since I've seen anything horror related anyway, so I need to re-up. Mm. I need to re-up my prescription. Um, that said, when you said it's your favorite sequence ever. Okay. Was I was that hyperbolic though? I mean that was hyperbolic. Well, I, I don't I don't know about ever. I okay. don't know if it's like my favorite sequence ever, but I mean, it, it for sure is the best sequence I've seen all year in any movie. Okay. In in terms of... In, in terms of total entertainment. Like, I think that... Uh, let's see. So, like, this year, speaking of movies that I have seen this year, not necessarily that came out this year, but, like, I have seen this year. I can think of, like, probably... <sighs> just off the top of my head, five to 10 sequences that I think are better. Okay. Uh, like actually like you get something out of them, but like in terms of entertainment, whew, it's very fucking hard uh, to be. I, I, and again, I don't know that there is one. So without, I know this is completely not what we do here, but I need to know without, spending too much thought like you get like 10 seconds could you name your favorite sequence in horror slash suspense movies like of all time yeah because i think i can but mine might be really basic and you might even uh it's from the shining okay so mine i've never felt more at i've never felt more discomfort and unease that I, we've talked about this before when uh, Jack Nicholson's character is just staring out of the fucking window. Uh, yeah. And it's just playing that music. Yeah. Kind of like swirling, like yes. whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And he's just lost. Like you can, he's gone. That is my favorite. Cause I, I don't get easily uncomfortable, but that one got me like I, I edge of my seat. Just heart was my own heart was racing. I, have very rarely felt like that. Oh, but it gets me every time. Mm. Um, in terms of sequences that truly terrify me, like that really like cut me to the bone. Um, I, uh, I find it incredibly difficult, uh, like to even think of something that comes as close to the actual, like exorcism, sequence in uh, the exorcist the original <clears throat> that, yeah. yeah yeah that entire like last probably like 15 minutes of that movie are fucking horrifying to me and there's one shot in particular that always like i like i can see it in my mind right now and like i'm getting goosebumps but it's when uh father uh father Karras comes back upstairs and he's going to check on um shit what's his name 
the the older uh, priest. I, I forget. Right. Father Marin. There we go. He's going back upstairs to check on him, and he walks in, and Regan's sitting on the bed, and she's just like smiling and like giggling to herself, and she's got her like her hand in front of her face, and Father Marin is dead. She's killed him, and that scene and that shot of her like just giggling, like. It is spine chilling. <sighs> yeah. See, that's I forget about the exorcist, uh, the exorcist a lot. Like that movie really unsettled me as a kid. Oh yeah. I still have nightmares about some of that shit now that I think about it. Oh. I should not have watched that movie as young as I did. <laughs> Same. It might be some of the fucking issues I have. Like I can't walk – and I know, like, this is not just me type of thing, but I have a really – something happens in my head where, like, pictures and imagery and feelings become, like, really, uh, I guess, real. Really real. <laughs> um, <laughs> so if I'm, like, walking up a staircase, I can feel, like, a presence behind me sometimes, and I yes. hate it. Mm-hmm. I hate it. And it's, like, stuff like that that I – that you were just talking about. I'm like, what did that do to me as a kid? <laughs> oh, uh, dude, I've been watching horror movies since I was probably like fucking six, seven, eight, nine, somewhere in that range. Yeah. And yeah, there's no telling like what that did to me psychologically. <laughs> right. Oh my God. I would yeah. like to see a comparison between a normal, healthy person and a person that's l- l- literally lived horror for how old are you? 32, uh, 33, 33. So, oh my God, like 20 some odd years <laughs> or yeah. 15, 20, whatever math. But that's, I don't know, man. It, there, there's a, there's a direct link there. I'm sure. Oh, for sure. Dude, I, <laughs> it's actually funny. We're kind of, like off topic talking about this. I used to have such a, a, a thing about um, like things potentially being under my bed after I cut off the lights that I would like, when I would go to bed, I would cut the lights off and jump from my light switch to my Yeah, <laughs> dude. And I know it's completely, I don't even, dude, it's unjustifiable. Like why I think about that shit. It's like, I know it's not there, but what if it is? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. There should be a whole episode dedicated to that shit. Fucking for real, though. Oh, man. Hey, but we got we got a cool topic. We do. We got a cool topic. Uh, so, before shifting to a Pokemon-based topic last week, uh, to sort of preview, you know, our upcoming Pokemon Legends spoiler cast, I had another ranking topic in mind. And what makes this topic even better is that we're in the month of love and we're also weeks away from International Women's Day. So, what are we doing here today? Well, we planned on discussing and, of course, ranking our favorite female video game characters. So let's not beat around the bush. We both come up with 10 characters apiece. Uh, Let the fighting begin. (coughs) Can I? No. Not even gonna, not even gonna rat you out. We'll just do this. Okay. All right. Well, you you gonna rat me out? What are you gonna? Yeah. Rat me out? Because I didn't know we were doing ten. Damn it. All right. I brought five. Hard yeah. thought. K. 
characters to this table. And then you're like, we're doing 10. And then I had to speed run another five. So forgive me if some of these are not as well thought out as others. Okay. Okay. I had to get that off my chest. It's been bothering me for the past 36 minutes and 18 seconds. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, uh, okay. So how are we going to do this? Let's, uh, let me, let me do this real quick. Hang on. Mm -hmm. Are you deciding who's going first? Yep. And I'm just supposed to take your word for it that you're being honest. All right. Uh, all right. Hang on. Um, select a coin type. What the fuck does that matter? Does it fucking matter? Half dollar. I'm going to go with... Okay. Half dollar. Half dollar. All right. One flip. Heads or heads. tails? It is heads. All right. So you go first. Uh, am I deciding who to cut from our list or... Yeah. <clears throat> so do we... Okay. Is it okay that they don't know the list? It's okay that they don't know the list. Okay. They'll know it by the end. <laughs> They'll know it by the end. Okay. So off of your list. Oh, I can. <laughs> wait, wait. I don't have a third person here to help me negotiate. <laughs> oh, no. Um, maybe I should start with one of mine. <laughs> Let me look at this list real quick. Uh Oof. Some of the, some of them, like two of them, I truly do not know them. Uh, yeah. uh, only two, though. Oh, man. So how are we ranking these off of what they mean to us or in video games? Any sort of uh, ranking you want. Some of the ones that I put on here for me specifically are kind of based on where they rank uh, like w- what I think that their influence is like these two specifically. Right. Okay. Um, okay. but most of them, I were more like personal type things. So number 20, I, I'll go with one of mine for number 20 because it's not really, it, she just means something to me. Um, okay. <clears throat> it's going to be Abigail from Stardew Valley. So we all know one of my favorite games of all time. Um, and in my very first playthrough, like I was really getting to know a lot of the townspeople uh, on top of doing all the other miscellaneous stuff, farming, mining, adventuring, whatever. But really getting to know the townspeople is where I thrived. Um, and there's a lot of single people in, in the Valley of Stardew. And Abigail is one of them. And I really enjoyed my time getting to know her because I think one of uh, the first hard events that you get to experience with her it's something that, you know, pretty much anyone who's listening to this podcast right now can relate to. She invited you in um, just to play a video game. She was having trouble with it. So she's like, hey, let's couch co-op and let's beat this level. And you actually do. You play a video game inside of a video game called Prairie King. Um, I believe that's what it is. And it's fun. You help her beat it and you just have this clicking moment. I'll never forget. <laughs> I'll never forget, though. And I know Concerned Ape did this shit on purpose. When you help her beat it. You know, she's like, oh, my God, you know, thanks. You're so good at that. You really know your way around the joystick, huh? (laughs) What the fuck is that supposed to mean, dude? Oh, God. Um, But the more you get to know her, the more uh, the relationship truly does flesh out. I eventually married her. Um, She's a musician. She's 
um, kind of on the more witchy side of things, which, you know, shout out to Austin. If you're actually listening to this episode, I know you can respect that. Um, but it's cool because her story, I don't want to spoil it for people, but her story isn't necessarily what it seems on the outside. Um, and she, she just, I had a lot of fun. So, uh, number 20, Abigail. Abigail. Good, good choice. Nope. You, you fucking <clears throat> fix that. All right. Oh, I, I, how, I thought it was two words. No, I thought, okay. I thought you were doing that to cringe me out. It's okay. No, I, I genuinely thought <clears throat> it was two words. So I think to be fair, you should cut one of yours. Oh, I, well, I was going to anyway. Okay. <laughs> All right. So my pick for number 19 is going to be Lucia from ah. Lunar to Eternal Blue. Yeah, this is one of the two I did not know. Okay. So I love Lunar 2. Uh, is this the game that Austin's playing this year? Yes, it is. Um, and what I think makes uh, Lucia uh, such a endearing character is that she's not really human. She kind of is... Um, uh, she's almost an alien, to, to be frank. Um, and she comes to... Uh, I I don't know what the the world is called. Maybe it is lunar. I, it's uh, I don't remember. Um, but she comes to the world uh, because this extinction like entity Zofar uh, is um, is coming and is on the verge of resurrection and like she's kind of like reawoken or whatever. And so she has to come. And when she gets to the um uh okay there it is blue star okay that's what it is um so when she gets there she kind of knows nothing about the human world and is like naive and curious but also like it's she's almost like a fish out of water type thing but when she meets hero and ruby she kind of starts to experience what humanity is and she starts to kind of like gain emotions. Like she starts out kind of like cold and almost calculating, um, maybe not calculating, but like almost like, uh, maybe matter of fact is the way to put it. But as she kind of like goes on the adventure with these people and, uh, the kind of group that she gets integrated with, she kind of learns to feel compassion. She starts to feel like worry and she understands what anger is. And, and, uh, she even like one of my favorite, uh, there are two, uh, I guess spa scenes that really kind of like show her growth as a character. And I really love the, the juxtaposition or juxtaposition of the two, Early in the game, she get there's a spa sequence where you go to like wash off or whatever, and uh, Hero is in there. He's just enjoying his own business. He's the only guy in the spa doing anything, and Lucia just kind of like walks in. It's like, oh well, you know, I know Hero. I'm gonna go take a fucking bath with Hero, and she walks in. She's just like fucking completely naked, and she's like, all right, I'm here. Let's let's fucking shower or whatever. 
And she doesn't fucking know any better. She's a, you know, she's an alien. The game, it's like sets it up in the beginning where like the entire opening sequence, she is like, she gets woken up or what have you. And she's just walking around this like, kind of like crystal palace type thing, just completely naked. So like, it's normal to her. Right. And then she, I guess kind of like learns, uh, what it means to be like, kind of like embarrassed or whatever over the course of the game. And like, she gains these emotions. And then later there's a sequence where she is sitting out by a lake. Uh, she's just, you know, a presumably, you know, done the whole like washing off thing. And she's sitting there singing to herself and hero walks up on her, uh, because he hears her singing and he's, you know, whatever. And then she hears him behind her and she's embarrassed and she jumps into the water to like hide herself. And I just, that really kind of solidified her journey in a way that like, I I think that a, a lot of games like really ham fist shit in. And I thought that that was such a nice and subtle way for, these game devs to, to do that. Um, yeah. And I, I just, her as a character, I, I am really in love with, I, I really think that she's great. And if it were my own personal ranking, she would go much further, but I, you know, you don't know her at all. So, yeah, but still, yeah, but still great. character. Cool. And that was 19. So 18, truly this could have gone out at 20. Um, I put her on here because she's a fantastic part of the games. It's the firekeeper from Dark Souls, um, specifically Dark Souls 3, because that's where I fell in love with the overall design. There's not much to say. There's not some huge story with them. They are the keepers of the flames, um, and that is their job until the flame dies essentially um they're just really cool and they're there guiding you all along the way and in dark souls 3 i love i guess i love the character that they gave us because she's very very soft-spoken and i don't know she it always feels like home when you go back to firelink shrine and every you know <laughs> it's, it's it's kind of it's not really a joke but it's just I died a lot, you know, when I was trying to learn and get good at the game. So every time I spawned, I would get mad because every time it would be Ashen one. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. But or when you talk to her or something like that. I don't know. I I just have a lot of good memories with her. But I love like in terms of overall design as a character, she's one of my favorite designs in the video game. I just love the aesthetic. Um, Mm. But yeah, it's a really simple one at 18. Cool. Yeah. All right, my next one is going to be Aloy from the Horizon games. Damn, that was fast. Yeah, I like Aloy um, a lot. I uh, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know what to really say. I just I've put about. <sighs> three-ish, maybe four-ish hours into uh, Forbidden West so far, so I can't speak to what her character growth is in that, but I really liked her story in 
um, the first one, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. <clears throat> and I really, not only do I like her story, I think that her character design is really striking. Um, I like, you don't really see a whole lot of redheads in games, at least not from like a sort of like m- more realistically modeled uh, game. You know what I mean? Like you, you, like you're not, you don't see. 3d models with red hair very often. And that was immediately like one thing that just, uh, immediately like, um, kind of like got thrown out to me as, as something, but also she's got this really nice, like string of relationships with people all throughout the game. Uh, like her relationship with Rost is, beautiful and kind of informs her entire like path going forward where she, you know, knows that there are things that she has to do and, uh, like she has to work in within like the system to see them, you know, working or whatever. Um, but, I really like her story of going from like this sort of like outcast orphan type deal to becoming the savior of the entire like planet, you know? Um, I really love pretty much everything about her. I just like a lot of the other characters more on my list. Aloy's great, but, um, yeah. <clears throat> uh, so I, I, I'm gonna dip into your side. Okay. I'm actually surprised, and maybe you want her to go further. Um, June Lee. Um, I'm okay with with uh taking her or letting okay. her go now. Yeah. I'm uh. I'm a fan of Street Fighter, but I'm, I don't know. She's iconic. I just don't like using her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think my thing with putting her he- here uh, on, on my list is she's really kind of uh, amongst the first playable female characters in, in all of video games. And she's, I mean, she's huge, right? Everyone knows fucking Chun-Li. Like, everyone fucking knows her. Um, But uh, part of the reason that I uh, like her so much, or, well, not like her, but part of the reason that I put her on my list is she's always the character I gravitated towards in Street Fighter all the time. Um, I I don't know what it was exactly, but, like, it was her and uh, Vega, I really liked the two of them. Um, but even Vega, who's fucking cool and has the mask and the claws or whatever, Chun Lee was always my first pick. Um, I don't know much about the lore of Street Fighter, so I couldn't speak to what her character, you know, does or has had to go through or anything like even remotely resembling a story. But I just. I straight up love Chun Li. Um, I think that her design is beautiful. I love the little buns on her head. Um, 
I don't know. I think she's a badass, and uh, <clears throat> she's many people uh, start to kind of like consider her like the first lady of gaming, and I um, tend to agree with that. Uh, yeah, she's great. Uh, I'm trying to think. If I had a Street Fighter character to play as, it was always Ibuki, actually. Oh, I like Ibuki. Yeah. Yeah. She was pretty rad. I like her. Um, that was my choice. So, hey. Hey. On to the next one. Uh, on to the next one. Um, she's, uh, she's sitting, she's sitting kind of high for me right now, making it all the way to 15. I'm going to ask how you feel about getting rid of Kyrie. I'll go with that. Okay. No, I had to think about it because I'm looking at all my other choices and I'll go with that. <clears throat> I'm sorry, Austin. If you're, he doesn't listen to these episodes. What am I talking about? Um, Kyrie from kingdom hearts. This was one of those last minute choices for me is I forgot about her. Um, but Kingdom Hearts goes back a long time for me. It's one of my most favorite uh, franchises because three never happened. It's just one and two. Um, And she was she was just a part of that. I remember playing the first one and she was kind of this. I guess it was like the damsel in distress situation. She was we that's who we were chasing. That's who we were trying to save her. And we were trying to, you know, get a hold of Riku again. But and two, she kind of really finds her place and she's no longer the person that needs saving. She is the one that's going to do the saving. And we see towards the end, she gets a keyblade. And I don't know, like, I, I kind of like that transformation. I'm going to be real. I have not finished three um, personal issues with it. Like, I'll go back and uh, absolutely finish it eventually. But when I look at just one and two, I just really like the character growth. She becomes her own person and you know she's strong even like developing a good relationship with axel or lee um later down the line i don't know i just vibe with her but yeah 15 is a good place i I, the other ones need to go higher okay yeah i my my thing with uh with Kyrie is i have only played uh, of games where she's like a, a a big like part of the story um i've only played one and she's not even really that big of a part of the story right i always think of her as like a a secondary character almost but yeah she uh, she plays a big part in the background i guess yeah yeah anyway anyway oh that was that was your choice it's me now um oof oof yeah, um, going to cut one of my own. Okay. Uh, we're going Jinx from League of Legends. So this one, this one's a hard one to talk about because now when I think of Jinx, I think of Arcane and what it did for that. Not only Jinx as a character, but all the other characters that were huge parts of um, Arcane, like Jace and Vi and Caitlyn and all these people. Um, Victor. Jinx is just a badass before arcane was even a thing. Like I was, I was heavily into league on her release. Um, and I was trying to find that's a little bit before I started playing just a little bit before her release. So by that time I was really, um, 
coming to understand that the ADC role at the bottom lane was, you know, that's where I really thrived, at least back then. Now I gravitate more towards mid, but um, then this new ADC comes out, Jinx, and she's crazy as shit, and I like her. I love the dialogue, everything. Like, uh, she reminds me of a more insane Harley Quinn, if that's possible. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. She was just a lot of fun to play. I like the moveset. I like that her Q is just in a, a, a weapon switch between the Gatling gun and the rocket launcher. I liked learning how to, you know, use those. And then her abilities were fantastic because she had a trap that could stop people in their tracks. And she had this electrical stun gun that could reach huge range. Like I hadn't really played with a uh, character that had that kind of range before. So that was a lot of fun aside from Caitlin. Um, and then the ult is my favorite thing because you can literally shoot that shit all the way across the map. It's a giant rocket launcher. Um, and you can, you can do some really fun things with it, but then arcane came out and it just fleshed out her character even more. I know this is a little different here because that's not truly what made her definitive as a video game character in my head, like why she stands out, which is what I just talked about, but I don't know, just that's a huge league and arcane kind of go hand in hand now. And just getting to see her story evolve to lead us to where she's at now uh, in the games, like why she is the way she is. It was really cool to see. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of love there, man. Yeah. I um, Also, watch Arcane. I haven't gotten to it. Well, I, I say I haven't gotten to it. I've I watched like the first, I think, five minutes of the first episode, and then something distracted me, and I couldn't finish it. So I'm going to go back to it. But yeah. Yeah worth um, it so that was number 14 okay. on to 13 all right i have um i have a tough cut coming um i'm going to go with oh I have a tough cut. I have a tough cut. I'm going to go with... Damn. How do you feel about Judy? Oh, I knew it was coming. (laughs) Actually, I'm glad that you did have me... First off, yes. Um, Second, I'm glad that you did have me come up with another five because... I don't really get to talk about all of the positives of cyberpunk. Um, and then I thought about Judy for one of the characters that I really, really loved in recent memory. Um, <clears throat> Judy Al- Alvarez from cyberpunk 2077 is fantastic because when we're first introduced to her, <clears throat> you see, she's like this really brilliant. Like she's this, you know, techie, She's quick on her feet and she has this incredible wit, but the more I don't, this is another one of those things I don't want to spoil too much because I think now that cyberpunk has just gotten its next gen upgrades, I know a lot more people are playing it. Um, Her story fleshes out to show just how good of a friend she is. She is this incredibly well-written character that I feel like 
whenever I talk about cyberpunk, I talk about everything that it did wrong and the disappointment that came from it. But I always emphasize just how good the story is. And I feel like the story is so good because she's a part of it. Um, you, she might not be there from start to finish, but the parts that she's in really shine. Like I'm excited to see those parts with Judy and the further they went, it got really heartbreaking and it, the game really touches on some really unfortunate shit. Um, but you get to see her grow, evolve, and maybe even, no, I wouldn't say devolve. I would say, cause that's a part of the evolution too. You just get to see her grow to become something completely different than when you first walk into this nightclub and you meet her. And I don't know, man, I'm glad she made it this high because I truly accredit cyberpunk being as good as it is because of characters like Judy. Um, and I'm also grateful that you did choose to do 10 because I got the, I got a chance to talk about her for a minute, but what was that? 13. Yeah. 13 is a good number. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> I only met Judy. Uh, I, uh, I didn't play enough of the game to really get into her character, but from what I understand based on, Everyone has told me um, she is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely incredible. And she'd be Aloy, so that's all that matters. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, it's your Oh, it's cuts. me. Okay. Yeah. Um, I look at this list, and I hate cutting some of these for the sheer iconic factor. Um. It's rough, man. Yep. <laughs> this is not good. Oof. And I don't want... Um, One, two, three, four, five, six. All right. We on? We're on 12. I would like to request... Oh, but it's going to be so weird not seeing her in the top 10. Uh, you highlight it. And I'll see. Uh, I'll give you. Okay. Yeah. No, she's making it to the top 10. <laughs> sure. uh, I will go with. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep. 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 So. <laughs> number 12. Number 12. I'm going to choose Cortana. Uh, that's from Halo for everyone that has never picked up a controller. <laughs> right. Um, okay. So the reason I put Cortana on this list, uh, is I think very similar to, uh, one of your picks because she's not technically a female. She's more of an AI, but she is represented as a, uh, as a right. female, right? Um, here's the thing. I don't know that Halo would necessarily have been nearly as compelling if it didn't have Cortana in it. 100% agree. I love everything about her. And it actually, it made me really, really sad when the stuff that was going on with her happened in five to the point that I did, I didn't finish the game. 
I still have not finished Halo 5's campaign because I kind of hate the direction that it took her. And when it came around to Halo Infinite, the memories I have with Cortana and her relationship with Master Chief completely and totally informed my feelings on the new AI in infinite. Uh, I think her name is technically the weapon um, in infinite. I fell almost head over heels for that character because of my relationship with Cortana. Um, she is so witty and playful and has such a wonderful sense of humor. Um, and I love that she kind of like keeps chief in check, uh, in some ways, uh, but also knows what she's going, like knows when to sort of like step aside, so to speak. Um, I, yeah, I, I really, I think I chalk this up to specifically, I, I think her presence in Halo makes Halo. If it did not have her in it, I don't think that this series would have lasted nearly as long because frankly, I like Master Chief, but he's not exactly a compelling character. Um, what really sold me on the series was the story between her and chief. And, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know if I can say any more. Uh, Oh, actually, you know, I can't say more. Jen Taylor is magnificent. Yes. I was about to go. She's so fucking good. And, uh, one thing that I want to say, cause you haven't played infinite yet. No, I haven't finished it. Okay. So there is a very distinct, but subtle difference between the way that she plays Cortana and the weapon and her fucking voice acting ability is just off the fucking charts. I, she's so good. She's so, so fucking good. Yeah. Yeah. She's done great. I dude, I love her as even, um, she, this one almost made the list honorable mention real quick. Zoe from left for dead. Um, Jen Taylor also does that as well. Okay. I didn't know. Um, that. yeah. So, um, hello, where was I at? Anyway? No, the whole reason halo is memorable, memorable to me is because of Cortana. I'm right there with you. And Jen Taylor is a huge part of that. Um, she just really nails that character. I mean, that's, I can't think of a better voice actress that could have done it. I mean, that's just iconic to me. Um, Dude, the Halo 3, especially for me, was just incredible because of her and the relationship she had with Chief. And it's like from that first mission, you know, when you first get activated in Halo 3 and you're going through the caves or whatever, and she's kind of like glitching, not really glitching, but you're trying to still come to it or whatever. Oh, man, that's just iconic to me. Um, Fuck. I'm a little sad to see her go before top 10 now. That's my fault. (laughs) <laughs> anyway incredible anyway. choice is that was that my choice that was yeah that was your my choice your sacrifice <clears throat> exactly uh speaking of sacrifices 
I'm going to take another one for the team, and I am going to put Jill Valentine. Ooh, ooh. Yep. Uh, tough choice, but uh, I have to see some of these others make it further. So Jill is my favorite character of the Resident Evil series. Um, very, very close to uh, her is is um, Claire from Resident Evil 2. But I don't think that she quite touches <clears throat> Jill for me. Um, and And I think the reason that that is is that when you first get into Resident Evil, the first game, she is already a cop. She is already kind of like a, uh, for for lack of a better term, she's already kind of a badass. Claire has more of a like sort of like arc of like not really knowing what she's doing and like moving, you know, moving into a more like typical hero role. But Jill starts as a hero. And she goes from being a badass to like kind of just taking on the entire fucking world. And I love everything about her in all of the games. And when you get further into uh, like, for instance, uh, Resident Evil five, where she was like, a zombie like it was a weird like she had mind control things going on i don't remember all the stuff that happened with with that in particular in resident evil 5 but like you see a lot of shit that she goes through and she always comes out of it being somehow even more of a badass i don't even know how the fuck that's possible but like that just is how it ends up going all the time um I love Jill. I want to see her utilized in more Resident Evil titles going forward because I feel like Claire is the one that everyone loves and Claire is the one that has like how many fucking spinoff games? And yeah, true. I, I don't... Jill isn't really a playable character in almost any games outside of one... And three, I think. I can't think of any that um, she's a playable character in. I guess technically she has DLC in five. But um, yeah, I I love the character. I want to play as her more. I, she's a total badass. And she's one of the first like video game crush type things that I had as a child. So <clears throat> extra points right. for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I want to follow my sword here just like you because uh -oh. now it's we're in the this is number 10 we're in the top 10 now yeah <sighs> let me make sure hold on gotta get dramatic okay i'm gonna go with ellie from borderlands 3 okay um ellie to me is one of the most hilarious characters that we meet in borderlands in general um, in this situation, I'm specifically talking about Borderlands 3. Um, she was, she's great in 2. 
But in Borderlands 3, I mean, her introduction was her spinning a psycho on a roulette wheel and blowing him up. <laughs> and then just nonchalantly turning and be like, oh, hey. Like, it's fucking amazing. It's just memorable, memorable to me because I replay Borderlands 3 quite often. I love it. Um, but that alone should say a lot about her. But she's, I mean, she's just fun. Um, I know a lot of people put focus on Lilith and Maya and, of you know, of course, Mad Moxie. Um, I mean, I'm, I named my dog after Moxie, so that should say a lot. But <clears throat> Ellie is Mad Moxie's daughter. And for Christ's sakes, can we think about that for a minute? I mean, that alone is questionable and hysterical at the same time because Ellie weighs like, what, 600 pounds? And you see, you know, tiny little Moxie over there. So it raises some questions. But um, she picks up the mantle that Scooter sat down and is the perfect successor to the whole catch a ride family of insanity. Um, I love hearing her passion for the Crimson Raiders and Lilith in particular. Uh, she's just brilliant. And she she's like li- literally brilliant now that I say that. She keeps Sanctuary up and running. And that's no easy feat, but she handles it effortlessly, give or take some, you know, frustrations with Claptrap. But overall, I think she's one of the star characters of Borderlands 3, and I think she's criminally underrated. Yeah, Uh, I don't I don't remember her um, almost at all from Borderlands 2, but. Uh, and I haven't played three, but, um, yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's a good choice. I like it. I'm trying to remember where you, she's the, do you remember what she looks like? Uh, I mean, not, not even really. No, she's the really huge chick that's in the garage out in the wasteland somewhere. I vaguely remember that. Um, it's been such a long time since I've played. Where's the private chat real quick? Because I think once you see her, you'll be like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, I remember that. Um, Let's see. There you go. Remember her? Oh, yeah. Look at you. Look at you. Um, Private chat. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in three, she becomes much more front and center, and she is hysterical. But yeah, that's that's Moxie's daughter. (laughs) Wonderful. Does not seem accurate. Right. Uh, Um, All right. Number nine. Number nine. Single digits. One, two, three, four, five, right? One, two, three, four, five. Okay. All right. Now it is time, I think, to cut. Okay. I... I almost would like to see her get to the top five because I do think she is so iconic. But yeah, we're gonna we're gonna cut her out, Miss Lorecroft from the Tomb Raider franchise goes out at number nine. All right. Iconic is is the word. Yeah i I really don't know what there is to say about her that, you know, probably hasn't already been said a billion times. Uh, I love the new direction uh, that they took her with the trilogy of games from crystal dynamics, or actually I think crystal dynamics only did the first two. And was it Eidos Montreal did the third one? I think 
Uh, I, either way, I, th- I love these new interpretations. Um, but I even love the old stuff where she just, the, I, I think it's the first game. I could have it mixed up with, um, this, Oh, excuse me. The second one. But before you even get to the main menu, there's like a little cut scene that plays and she's like riding on her motorcycle and you could just tell from the very beginning, she's a total and utter badass. And I forget, I forget exactly what it is that it shows, but I just, I remember for sure that one scene showing her on the motorcycle and it's just so badass. And I, I fucking love those first three games like a lot. I think that those first three games are iconic, um, especially one and two, but even three. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I really like her as a character, especially in the new ones where she's a little bit more fleshed out, but like, I really just think that she deserves to be on this list. And especially in the top 10, because I mean, look at everything that she was and kind of like is, I mean, she was video games first, like sex symbol. You know what I mean? Like I, I remember back in the day, uh, like people being like, Oh, you know, there's a cheat code that if you like do this in Laura's mansion in, uh, Tomb Raider two, you get to see her naked or whatever. And, <laughs> like I, I remember distinct like conversations, like she was a fucking huge sex symbol and that's huge for a video game. Like she was one of the, f- I mean, not one of the first, but like she was one of the first, uh, I guess, uh, uh, mm, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for? Um, successful video game adaptations. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, everything about her is, is huge. Uh, I, I think like when you think about video games and female video game characters in particular, if you don't think Laura Croft, I, I kind of think that there's something wrong because she is the epitome of, of like video game characters. Yeah. Like without her, I don't feel like we'd have a lot of what we have today in general. Yeah. Um, in gaming, like uncharted. I don't think it would have happened without Tomb Raider. Yeah, no, I, I don't think so at all. Um, but dude, I remember specifically my dad would always play them, but you know, whenever he wouldn't, I remember playing those games, dude. Tomb Raider 2, I remember the fucking like the obstacle courses and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Or just being in the manor itself, man. It was so memorable. But <clears throat> that being said, I love what it is now. I will be honest with you. I've not played anything but the first of the new Tomb Raiders. I want to. It's just one of those things. I have a huge backlog of games to play, and that's on there. Um, but in the first game, God, I love the direction that it went. She's fucking brilliant, dude. Mm-hmm. It's like we knew she was a badass in the older games and stuff like that, but this really shows how much wit and just cleverness she has and just the relationships that she has along the way, man. That's a huge That's a huge uh, theme for what makes a lot of these characters so high for me is the relationships that they establish in their respective games. But I don't know. She's, she's iconic. I love where they're going with it now. And 
fucking fantastic choice. Yeah. I, speaking, you were talking about the new one. Uh, Camilla, I think Luddington is her. Yeah. Camilla Luddington is the actress who kind of like um, performed uh, the role, not only like voice acting, but like I think she did the uh, the facial and animation capture for her. Just fucking knocks it out of the park. She's so good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. All right. So you took her out, right? So it's me? Yep. <sighs> okay. I'm going to be honest. I don't know what this is. I'm going to leave it. I just don't know what it is. Um, hmm. Let's see. Uh, if you don't... don't the one? If you don't want to get rid of one of yours, this would be the next one to go for me. What number are we at? Eight? Eight. Uh, poop. Poop, poop, poop. I'm going to go ahead and cut mine. Okay. Okay. Um, number eight is Sheva Alomar. I said we weren't going to double dip, and I thought we were good, but this is a double dip. Technically, it's from the same franchise. You double dipped the chip? Double dipped. Um, I should have caught that. But she was on here. We both... This was on here before I added five. Uh, Sheva is very special to me. Um, I feel she is incredibly overlooked in the Resident Evil world. Um, Five was the last game I truly spent time with, and it was actually all because of her. Like, I mean, it was a huge amount of time. Like, tons of replays. Loved it. Um, I really enjoyed what she brought to the table, uh, especially with her newfound partnership with Chris. Like, just how it starts, even um, her just you know essentially walking him through his you know part of Africa he was assigned to, and she was driven, dude, and she could tackle any enemy in her way and always kept going no matter the odds like either of them faced and they were thrown into this world of a literally a mutating bioweapon and she went toe-to-toe with a guy that was a veteran at that point of some fucked up shit um and when the time came for the mission to end you know when chris didn't the he essentially had to go back without going for jill he decided to stay um she decided to stay with chris and help him find the person that he cared for. And uh, I want her to return in a future game. I haven't played 7 or to completion or 8 at all. I don't think she's in either of those games. But I would love to see her come back somewhere along the lines. Because one game does not do her justice. Yeah, I agree. Uh, she was actually my favorite character to play as in Resident Evil 5. Whenever it would... like make me play as Chris specifically. I, I didn't like that game as much. Right. Um, Shiv is a great character. Love her so much. I just, everything about her, the voice actress. I really, I don't know who it was. Um, but she knocked it out of the park. I'm trying to, uh, Karen Dyer. Um, just incredible job. And, like I said, she wasn't in either of those lo- games, right? Not even a small brief appearance. Nope. Seven or eight. No. Okay. So maybe, maybe on the you know horizon, I I don't know if she has a place in the direction they're going, but I would love to see it. Yeah, for sure. Number eight. Number eight. Number eight. 
Esheva, number seven, is Aya Brea from Parasite Eve. Uh, I fucking love Parasite Eve so much. Um, it is one of my favorite games uh, of the PS1 generation. I, I just, I mean, it is so, so good. Uh, I even like Parasite Eve 2, uh, which a lot of people do not. Um, and uh, we don't talk about the third birthday. But um, yeah, part of the reason that I, I put her on here is because I do think uh, alongside uh, Jill, she is one of the first kind of like video game crush type things that I I had going on. Yeah, when I looked her up just now to, to remember who she is, because I remember you talking about Parasite Eve before, um, the first piece of art that came up, I remember seeing that like back in the day. Yeah, she was she was up there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and although like her design is uh, incredibly uh, hot, <laughs> shall we say, um, I actually really think that she is a incredibly strong character. Um, it's, especially in one and two, like she's very like stubborn, but, uh, like she's also like really like intelligent and honest and, uh, even like compassionate. Um, there's one scene in particular that I remember with this, uh, this character named, um, Hans, who, if, if I'm not remembering, um, if I'm not forgetting this, uh, he is, um, where, fuck, where does he, is he in the hospital? I think I know that he is the one who basically when, um, Aya is having there are like flashbacks throughout the game and uh when you are experiencing those flashbacks it is actually told that um there were two like a set of twins Aya and Maya <clears throat> and that um Maya had the sort of like uh mitochondria thing I, I don't remember the, the plot to Parasite Eve is kind of convoluted with all the medical jargon and shit. Uh, but Maya's, uh, is, um, uh, Aya's twin sister. And, um, he is the one who transplants the, um, Maya's kidney into the main antagonist, Melissa, and the actual cornea into Aya. And um, he is a real fucking bad dude, like just a really terrible human being. And there's a scene where he catches on fire and like sh he's burning to death and Clamp, uh, he straight up asks her, like, why would you even try to bother? Like, why would you bother trying to save me? And she's like, well, uh, 
she kind of like s- s- smarts off to him and is like, well, first of all, I'm a cop, so it's kind of my job. Uh, but then she says this thing that's like, um, I'm human. And like, there's this just like, uh, really nice, like compassionate streak to her. Um, but she's also, like I said, a total badass. She goes into the situation, um, like the opening of the game, she is at a, um, an opera and she's there on a date and all of these people around her immediately like burst into flames and shit like that. And her first instinct is to immediately go after the thing that's causing all of the death and destruction. Um, I love her interactions with her partner, uh, Daniel or wait is Daniel. I can't remember if Daniel's her partner or if Daniel is the, uh, the little, um, I guess like doctor guy who comes along. Um, I think Daniel is her partner anyway. Uh, either way, I just love her. Uh, I really think that, um, like her character is fantastic and I really love her first two games. I, I don't know that I would ever put her at number one, but she would always probably be in my top five. I just think she's a fantastic character. Hell yeah. Yeah. I definitely remember the artwork. That was, uh, I I feel like I've used the word iconic too much tonight, but I don't know. Uh, I don't need, I've never played the game before, but I knew that piece of artwork with her in it. Yeah. Which, uh, which, which one is her in the dress? Uh, yep. Um, yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's it. Um, let's see. I'm going to go ahead and go with one of mine. All right. Um, actually, I got three left, right? Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and cut. What number are we at? Uh, six. So this is number six. Um, Jennifer. Oh. The Witcher 3. Damn. I yeah. Tough cut. It was very hard. Um Yuna is someone I didn't exactly like my first playthrough of The Witcher. I actually liked Triss more and gravitated towards a romantic relationship with her. But then I started a new game and decided I'd romance Yen this time around. And in doing so, I saw just how terribly wrong and right Yen was for Geralt. Um, she was fierce and cunning and resilient, and she could keep Geralt in check every step of their journey. And he respected her for it. Um, she was an adoptive mother to Siri, who cared just as much for her as Geralt does. And the power we see from her throughout the game was just incredibly stunning. She is a phenomenal witch. And even going as far into necromancy at some point during the game, and it was all to find Siri. Um, I love her brilliance and her attitude. Um, she comes off as cold and harsh but you can really see her heart shine through the further you immerse yourself in that um, story between the three of them. Mm -hmm. I just, she was just fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, like when you, when you say like um, Tris was like the one, like I was immediately drawn to Tris as like a, like I am Geralt. I want to fuck that woman. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, Yennefer is the one that kind of like gets my heart. I love Yennefer as a character. Um, 
I also really fucking like dig her design, dude. Like I, I, the curly black hair and like the, like, I, I think it's in the Witcher three. She's got like the all black, almost like a uh, pants suit, almost type thing. Yep. Yeah. Like the little white accents and the purple accent you see with her too. Yep. It's just, and they contrast really well as both people and in terms of appearance. Yep. Yeah. I I love her. Um and I also really love um the uh woman who plays her in the Netflix series uh Same. Anya Shalatra. Maybe. Yeah, she does great. Like she's just working with the script she's given. It might not be exactly like the books or the games or whatever, but I love her as that actress uh, or as that character rather. Yeah. She's, she's fantastic. So, um, great choice. Very good choice. Top five. Now top five. Here we go, baby. All right. At it. Number five is. Oh shit. Abby. Oh shit. I thought that was going to be what? Okay. Yeah. Abby Anderson from The Last of Us Part 2. I really, really hate the discourse around The Last of Us Part 2. Because I feel like a lot of people just are hyperbolic as shit around a good maybe even great game. Um, and they kind of, I, I think missed the forest for the trees. I think that Abby is one of the best written characters in video games in a very, very long time. Um, not just male or female, like she's up there with Joel from the first game. And it kind of, I, I, the only knock against her, I think that I, I would level at her is that it is almost like a female Joel. Uh, but the thing about it is that Joel, I think he learns to open his heart up, um, to Ellie, but kind of at his core remains like the same person. Whereas I feel like Abby or Abby, I don't know why the fuck I said Abby. Um, Abby actually changes as a character. She actually grows as a character. She, when you first meet her is very hardened and she's like very kind of like cut off and emotionally like only wants like revenge, but once once you get back to playing her role in like the second half of the game and seeing what she's going through in Seattle, she's very emotionally conflicted and that carries through the rest of the game. And I really love that she goes from this person who like wanted revenge. And the only thing she wanted was revenge to learning that revenge doesn't like, stop the pain revenge doesn't make the pain go away and not only that but she goes from this overly grim and serious person to someone who is able to kind of like 
laugh. Like when her and Lev have their little sequence uh, near the end of the game, um, or actually it's at the end of their sequence where you're playing as Abby or whatever. Like she has become a much more bright and almost like optimistic person. Um, and I love her story. Everything about her story is what makes the last of us part two work. I do not care almost at all for Ellie in that game, which is kind of saying something, uh, because Ellie is such a fantastic character. Abby overshadows her in every possible way. I love everything about the character, everything about her journey and story. She's wonderful. I really, really love that character. Unfortunately, I don't love her as much as the other two on this list or else she would be higher. Okay. Um, I'm looking forward to finally playing the last of us part two this year, specifically for how much you have talked about Abby since the game came out. That's, I know what happens. I'm not stupid. I've had it. I think I've even have had it spoiled directly. Um, that's one of those things I don't care about because I feel like in the moment, I I don't know, it's still going to have an emotional impact and I'm curious to get to know Abby. So as soon as I play Elden Ring here for a little bit, I think I, I'm going to have a hard time choosing between Returnal or Last of Us Part 2, but I might go with Last of Us Part 2 just because I have that itch and I, I keep hearing you talk about her specifically and I just, it's time to get to know a new character. Yeah. All right, number four. Um, am I down to one? No, I'm down to two. Shit. We're down to two apiece. Shit. <clears throat> <clears throat> oh, no. <laughs> This is so hard, dude. Uh, we set ourselves up for this. We knew it was coming. We knew it was coming. <clears throat> and this is one of those where the past few episode times we've done a like a top something, I can generally predict how the top three is going to go. I can't predict shit here. Because <laughs> so, I agree with all four that have made it this far. So... Man, uh, number four is GLaDOS from Portal. Oh, it sucks. It does suck. But this is a this is a rough top four. Um, fucking top five, even. I mean, once we hit that top five, it got hard, but. So GLaDOS is one of those, you know, when we're talking about everything uh, through this episode, we're talking about, because we talked about Cortana is not truly a female, like she's just given that identity and the representation. That's kind of the same thing with GLaDOS. Um, She's given that feminine identity, and that's why I chose to roll with it. So to me, easily one of the most iconic video game villains ever. Mm, Yes, I agree just incredible incredible experience um she brings fear through dry sarcastic wit that sends you on a literal perilous escapade 
through a series of testing chambers that she's truly in full control of. And she gives you a companion at some point just to have you incinerated and <laughs> take it away from you later. <laughs> um, she, she puts you through this grueling in-game fight, too, that's literally anxiety-inducing, but ultimately GLaDOS is just one of the most evolved characters I've ever had the opportunity to delve into, and she's fun. Um, that got expanded in Portal 2. Um, having her attached to your portal gun via super potato is one of the most amazing things I've ever witnessed (laughs) and talk about evolution too, right? Because it's so much fun having her adventure alongside you through a new set of challenges that essentially she kind of puts you through this hell already, but now she's riding along shotgun with you and she somehow just makes the experience of Portal 2 even greater than its predecessor. Um, I I love everything about who GLaDOS is and God, I mean, iconic video game character, not just in terms of someone that falls on the, the female side of things, but in general, I, I love her so much. Yeah, I GLaDOS is such a great character and I love the performance of uh, whoever the voice actor is like the delivery it's it's wonderful because it is so just flat and like emotionless but it's like the most cutting shit (laughs) exactly (laughs) I just I fucking love it and I also love that like she has passions like she's she loves opera and baking <laughs> cakes <laughs> like what uh it's so good it's so good uh and i i am right there with you i i love having her as the potato in portal 2 <laughs> it's just the pairing of chell with the potato is just masterful it's it's so good. <laughs> So good. and literally, like she went from a supercomputer to a literal potato. <laughs> yeah. oh, I fucking love it, man. Uh, oh god! But yeah, like this easily could have been number one. Really, I mean, it could have fallen anywhere there. But um, we got some pretty good ones coming up. But goddamn, dude! Yeah. All right, number three, my pick. Number three is Senua from the Hellblade series. Oh, my God. I know. I bet you weren't expecting that at all, were you? I, I'm i actually... That's, that's almost as big as the Abbey one. Like, I'm telling you, these top five are so goddamn good. Yeah. Okay, but Senua. All right. Yeah, have you played Hellblade? I've not finished it man like okay. i've i've started and i something always happens but the parts that i have played holy shit i mean gripping character but go ahead yeah so i really think that Sanua will eventually go down in history as one of the greatest video game characters ever male or female like i just i think that she is beautiful um, 
the entire idea that she has um, uh, schizophrenia uh, or uh, is I can't remember. It's not exactly schizophrenia, right? That she has. I thought it. Oh, it's hold on. I know she has. It's like uh, here here on her psychosis. Yeah, psychosis. That's what I was looking for. Um, and I I love that that's like something that is put into video games because you like that's never talked about ever. Like that's just something that like uh and. and they did actual like um, like interviews and stuff with people who suffered from that sort of thing and and schizophrenia and stuff like that, and wove it into a a character that is just beautiful. I love how she can sometimes feel like incredibly meek and reserved, but. Also, she straight up, like, when sees she sees things coming for her, like, you know, if there's an enemy that's coming, she just readily, like, draws her sword. She's, like, ready to fuck him up. I, I love that, like, how tenacious she is and, like, how determined she is throughout the entirety of her journey in um, the first Hellblade. Uh, when you start getting more... Um, uh, like insights into her like childhood and how she got the psychosis. The fact that she's kind of like quote unquote overcoming this trauma is really, really well realized. Uh, I really love the fact that the uh, psychosis isn't necessarily tied to her depression and guilt about Dillian's murder. Um, and that it is something that like kind of manifested beforehand. But I also really love the fact that she's having, having to like suffer through that. Like that's kind of her like cross the bear. And I really, really just fucking love the story that is around her and her, really desperate attempt to kind of bargain for Dillian's soul. Um, I think that the game is wonderful and beautiful. And I think that without Sanua there, that the game doesn't quite get off, uh, or it doesn't quite come off as strong as it, as it does. Um, what Ninja Theory did with Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice is unbelievably beautiful, and the character that they crafted is among the very best in video games. So. Agreed. Okay. All right. Oh, We're down heart. to our final two. Okay. <sighs> We, I think. So, I'm, I know what I'm. I know what I'm going to do. Okay. Because I feel like. Feel like that this one should win. You feel like this one should win. Yeah. 
Okay. I'm totally okay with either of them winning, but yeah. Um, the iconic, I, I will use the word one last time. Okay. Um, Oh, I'm going to be sick. <laughs> Number two is Elizabeth from Bioshock Infinite. I love this game. I love everything about this game. Um, I do want to preface this by saying it has been quite some time since I've played the game. I believe I played it when it came out and then never again. Okay, mm. But even still... I remembered the raw emotion I had while experiencing the game more than anything. And all of that was because of Elizabeth, the story of a girl locked in a tower, perfecting certain skills and her own time just to not go insane in the lifeless shell, uh, cell she was kept in. And she was, she was detained by this, towering monstrosity of a mechanical bird that you know she grows to loathe and early in the game we get to see snippets of who she is as a person um what's his name seeing uh booker like kill guards and then she would react with shock and horror because she's never experienced anything like that like that's horrendous in her mind and it but it shows us she ultimately has this really kind heart but she also has understanding after a, you know a little bit of just time to process that that's what it's going to take to survive and you just start to see this depth really come out within her and all the way through the journey we have with her we see her evolve she learns of the woman who she thought was her mother and she's actually the reason she's imprisoned in the first place. Um, and then we see stuff like eventually throughout the game, she takes her first life and it changes. I mean that, how can it not? Right. Yeah. Um, all to protect essentially like when she saw a child was in danger. So you're seeing these different levels of her personality shine through and it's all through the game. It's all about her as it should be. It was just a wild ride. Um, I can't wait to revisit this game again, again, backlog. I want to experience it again, especially since I can stream it and, you know, we can kind of make a, we can make a thing of it, but she, uh, I don't know. She has always been in my mind and I've only played the game one, maybe two times. Um, I never played the DLC, so that's another reason to go back. Yeah, same. Yeah, so I don't know, man. I'd love to hear what you have to say about her because I know she's up there for you as well. Yeah, uh, she was the only reason that I didn't put her on my list is because I knew that you would put her. Yeah. <laughs> if if she had not made yours, I would have took another one of mine off. Um, yeah, I love everything about the character i love how even though she was like kind of like locked away for years and years and years presumably she has managed to somehow keep this like childlike spirit to her uh you know i love that she's very free-willed and look one of the things that you pointed out that i i definitely love is she really dislikes violence almost the entire 
game until she has to do something, you know, uh, was it Daisy? I think. Mm. Um, and she's, you know, horrified by that. Um, and I think that the game really leads you into caring about her more so than Booker. Um, even though it's Booker's story (laughs) in a weird way. Uh, I think it's more about Elizabeth and I love really everything about her. Uh, I love how she kind of starts off reckless. You know, there's the, the one, uh, thing where she almost gets them killed, uh, by the songbird when she's like, she opens up a tear to avoid a bee, you know? Yep. Um, I really love how, like, I don't know. I, I everything about her, like, I, I love that she's like a fountain of knowledge, you know, like, um, I, yeah, it just, everything about her is great. And then it leads up to that finale, uh, that is just so striking, it's one of my favorite endings in any video game ever. Um, yeah, it's, she's great. She is fantastic. And I also need to go back to those DLCs. Um, yeah. Yeah. Add it to maybe 2023. Instead of having a challenge, we just take a year to play whatever the fuck we want. I mean, I wish that there was a year that no video games came out so then I could just <laughs> yeah. do that. But number 1, number 1. All right. My number 1 character and number 1 on this list is Aerith Gainsborough from Final Fantasy 7. Uh I need to say real quick, my favorite Final Fantasy is not Final Fantasy VII. And I I love that game very much so, but I, I tend to fall on the side of thinking that that game is a little bit overrated. Only a little bit. But one of the most memorable and immediately striking things about the game is the character of Aerith and how she represents uh, the the big theme of life in Final Fantasy 7. There are many uh, themes in the game, life and death being the two most prominent Um, but she really represents the theme of life in everything that she does. She is compassionate and joyful. Uh, she literally will give people this, like would give people the shirt off of her back. You know, she hands cloud a flower in the beginning of the game just because she does not like threats and, she's openly creating a sort of like sanctuary like this in, in the great vast 
mechanical uh, metropolis that is uh, Midgar, she is creating this little sanctuary of flowers that she is growing in a church. And I love that. But not only is she this kind of like burst bastion of like virtue and like, you know, uh, purity. She is also a total spunky, uh, sometimes cocky and like, uh, determined person who will go out of her way to put evil in its place. I love that when Tifa is going to Don Corneo's um, uh, house, I guess is what you would. Uh, I, I mean, I guess that's the best way to phrase it. But when she's going there, she immediately knows that what's going to happen. She immediately knows everything about Don Corneo and is like, all right, so we've got to go save her. It's not cloud that says we've got to go save Tifa. It's Aerith. That says that and not only that, but it is her idea to dress cloud up as a woman to like fool uh, Corneo and his gang into like getting them in. I love everything about this character and it is only compounded when you get to the end of disc one and she's gone and the loss of her is one of the hardest things that you have to overcome in that game fuck fighting the omega weapon and ruby weapon and emerald weapon fuck fighting sephiroth as the final boss like the hardest game or hardest thing in that game is dealing with the fact that Aerith is gone and that no one can replace her. She is the only healer in the entire game ever. Everybody else can use potions and some people have like some healing spells. Like you can put Kate, Kate Seath in that role, but Aerith is the healer. And when she's gone, she's gone and no one fills that void. And that is one of the most powerful fucking messages that comes through in gameplay, dude. It's not a, like everyone's really sad. Aerith's gone. No one can replace her. You, you, the player can't replace her. I think that is so unbelievably valuable to teach people when it comes to death and expressing that artistically. I love her as a character. I love what she means as gaming or what she means to gaming. And personally, I love what she means to me. I, again, don't think the final fantasy seven is the best in the series. I love that game. I really do. But I think that, there are better games in the series, but none of them gave me as an emotional, a moment as 
the death of Aerith. And it's because of how attached to her I got in the game. She is by far my favorite uh, female video game character, and she's easily in my top two or three. I mean, Aerith is just magnificent. I love her so much, and yeah, that's why she's number one. Yeah, I'm not adding anything to that because that was picture perfect so that was a good list man it was a good list oh boy what a that was hard to get through so let's get to some more things (laughs) (laughs) uh all right uh you go ahead you start first you tell me about one of your games sure um a couple of nights ago i was watching a friend of mine play Fortnite and told them that if they won I download it and I play it. So they lost. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I had already started downloading it just in case they did win. So I was like, fuck it. You know, I'll play. I'll play a game. Um, I played my first game and I won. And that kind of sparked just the the little, the tiny little fire to play it again. Um, I've played it again today. Also won. Um, So that's three games one win per day in the three days that I played it. Um, so yay, but it's a, it's, it's more fun than I give it credit for. I suck at building. If I was good at building, I could sustainably play the game. I'm trying to get better, but it's a little rough. Um, but I do enjoy it. It's just, it's not as, I can't, I can't play Fortnite the way I could play apex. Um, I could go for apex hours on end and feel like, like I have more skill going into it. Um, I feel like sometimes in Fortnite I can get lucky. Um, there's not really a lot of corner peeking that you can do. It's just a different type of game, right? I just, Mm. I enjoy apex more. Um, but yeah, I gave Fortnite a devil and now that was a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Yay for our challenge. Yeah, uh, I'm doing good. Yeah, you're you're doing better than me in Austin. <laughs> have you beaten Arceus? Uh, no, I have not. I just finished up mission ten earlier today, uh, which I think means that there are seven missions left of the main story. What did you just finish? I know you said mission ten, but what is it? Uh, it was where I had to defeat the Arcanine. I think that was mission 10. Oh God. Do I still have a lot to go? Oh yeah. Oh God damn it. Now, do I have a lot to go of like the full story or until credits roll? Until credits roll. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Where would you say that I'm at? I'm not going to lie, dude. I'm, I'm struggling to remember my time with it. And I did spend a lot of time exploring and stuff so let me preface with that okay well so i've i've put uh i think my counter was 27 hours or right around 27 hours when i checked oh my god that's when i beat the game oh okay well i've really really gone into like getting the pokedex filled out and like 
doing okay. a bunch of side shit. But now, That's because good. we're going to record this spoiler cast, I'm trying to kind of like plow get, through get the there. story. Okay. Um, I feel like I could say you're halfway, but maybe you're 60%. I would say 60%. Okay. I think. Uh, my last couple of days with it were convoluted because I started doing more extracurricular things. But uh, yeah, you're 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 closer than you were to, you know, at the beginning. Yeah, well, I've played a lot in the last three days, I think. Um, glad it's your game of the year. Mm, mm. <laughs> it's the I mean, I guess it's the only game that's come out this year yeah. that I've played. So I, <laughs> I guess it's currently there. Oh. Uh, yeah. But you want me to knock out my other one or do you want to do yours? Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. We'll talk about um, dying light two. Yeah. Cause I think I touched on it last week. It's more of the same. Usually I would kind of talk about my beginning phases with the game and then I would give ending opinions, but just to kind of update, it's pretty great. I didn't think I would enjoy it as much as I do, but it's a lot of fun. Um, they took everything I love about the first game and they expanded on it, which is what you would obviously want from a sequel. The world feels very much alive. Um, it feels invigorating. It also feels challenging at night. Um, those night times can get a little fucking spooky, man, to the point where I have actually jumped a few times. Um, also noped right out of some buildings because <laughs> I don't like the music that that it comes with. Like I remember jumping down on the streets and it was like, go in here and I went in there, but you know, it's bright and sunny outside inside. It's dark. So when I go through the crevice, it's kind of dark. And then I get into where I can see and there's like fucking 15 zombies just sitting there. And I immediately shook my head, turned around, walked right back outside into the daylight. Cause I'm not fucking with that. But that's something that the game does well. It teaches you not to go inside during the daytime. It teaches you that you're going to have to explore at nighttime to get to those places so you can explore when it's semi-vacant because everything's out on the streets. It pushes you to explore in the spooky times. Um, and I like that, dude. I've been playing it solo thus far. I can see how it would be really great on co-op, but I'm telling you, man, they did a great job with it. I'm not going to have it finished by the time Elden Ring comes out, this is going to be maybe like a dabble in it throughout the year type of thing. Um, I haven't even made it to the bigger part of the city. I'm not even halfway through the game right now mm -hmm. uh, because I'm doing every side quest. I love a lot of these side quests. There's some uh, depth to them, fucking even a little more than I'm in Cyberpunk than I would say. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't talk positively about Cyberpunk and not shit on it at some point through the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it's really good, man. I, I implore anyone to give Dying Light a try if you are contemplating buying it. Um, definitely definitely go for it because it's, it's just as good as the first game, if not better. Sick. I'll have to get to it eventually. Yeah, it's dude, it's just it's there because I can absolutely see how it can take hundreds of hours to finish, but in a good way, because there's quests to do challenges to complete. There's not really collectibles or anything. You can obviously loot. And that's another thing that, you know, drives you going forward. But it's just the challenges and quests and stuff. That's actually good. I don't feel bored doing it. So uh, um, tread cautiously because it is a time sink in a good way. Mm. Yep, it'll have to come for me probably during the summer because uh, yeah. 
that looking like the time that we're going to have a dead zone in gaming and I can maybe finally get around to it. Yeah. But all right, cool. All right. What have you been playing? Well, uh, mostly Pokemon, but I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to, uh, kind of like talk about that because we've got the spoiler cast got stingy. Uh, but I have, like I said before, I put about three hours, maybe four, into um, Horizon Forbidden West. So this is going to be really brief. Uh, basically, from what I have played, this is more the same, which for me is fucking awesome because I really fucking like that game, uh, that first game. Um, so it starts... Uh, I think they said four months in the story. Uh, I, I, I just had this conversation with the guy earlier. God damn it. I think it starts up uh, about four months after Horizon Zero Dawn um, ends. And you're basically uh, kind of tracking down, trying to figure out what's causing this thing called the blight. And... Um, you're also at the same time trying to track down, uh, I forget his name, but Lance Reddick is the guy, uh, the actor who portrays him. Um, and yeah, it opens up and immediately is like, throws you into a situation. There is no kind of like, there was nothing like the proving from the first game where it, it like leads up to a story beat. It just immediately like, boom, you're there. Like you're thrown right into it. And I really fucking like that. I liked that. They didn't necessarily give like, uh, you a chance to quote unquote, catch your breath. Um, I know that that can maybe be off putting for some people, but I think that there's enough, like if you never, if you didn't play the first one, I think that there is enough here, uh, to grasp on through like bits of dialogue um, in the first like hour or so to kind of understand who Aloy is, what's, what the, the main crux of the story is going to be and stuff like that. Um, that said, the game just plays really fucking well from what I can tell. Um, again, I've only put like three hours, so maybe like there are things that like eventually become like bigger deals than what I've got going on right now. But like I, it it plays so very, very similarly to, uh, zero dawn. It's just easy to pick up and like, I almost, it was almost like a secondhand nature. Like I, I knew what buttons to press sort of thing. It's that intuitive. Um, the only thing that I think I've gotten really negatively to say about it is that I think that it's possible that it's just something weird with the fact that I've been playing it on or through the, like the capture card. Um, but I've noticed some like frame rate dips that like, I wasn't doing anything really all that, hardcore like i was just like climbing (laughs) um and uh the the frame rate just like dropped significantly um so there was that 
but yeah, I, I have really enjoyed my two to three hours with it. Um, I am hoping to be able to get in some more time with it before Elden Ring drops on Friday, because I feel like I'm going to have to try to play that to keep pace with you. (laughs) Um, yeah, I, I really like this game a lot, uh, so far, but, but again, I, it, I like the first game and I, it feels like an extension of that. Um, it, it feels like in a, uh, Assassin's Creed two to Assassin's Creed type thing, um, where like it's, perf- uh, maybe that's a bad example because Assassin's Creed actually is like Assassin's Creed two is significantly better than the first game. Oh, in every way. Um, but I don't know. I'm. I feel like I'm going to shut up now because I feel like I'm just crazy that talking. Pokemon beats that as your game of the year. Wow, who would have thought? <laughs> uh, anyway, um, you know what? Something that I forgot to do after we discussed the characters, and now I'm going to do it and maybe um, edit this around. <laughs> Wait, what? Read off the list? Yeah, I forgot to read off. Well, Yo, I was going to do that. I, I was going to say I forgot to read off some of the characters that we talked about from our patrons. Oh, shit. Yeah, because I... I forgot about them. I asked that question and then just didn't fucking do anything with it. So <laughs> here we go. Edit back in time. What? So I posed the question of um, voting for your favorite female video game character. And uh, yeah, Justin, um, Mr. Skyrise Excellence, uh, he pointed to Tara from Final Fantasy VI, which is a fantastic character. I love her. Stop Uh, fucking writing his dick. Move on. Okay. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Jeffrey just hit us up with like a billion of them. So... I'm going to go with the one that I actually know, which is Diva from Overwatch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, dude. (laughs) Actually, I do know Morgan from Darkstalkers and I love that character. Uh, All right. But shout out Jana Proudmore that he also threw out. Okay. I don't know who that is or what that is. She's awesome. She's an Alliance character. So fuck that. But you know, she's kind of cool. Okay. Uh, And then uh, Facundo, Red Blue. Uh, pointed to Cassandra from AC Odyssey, who I really did think was going to make your list, but I guess not. I guess you they're, hate They're women. more important. Uh, <laughs> whoa! <laughs> God! I was well behaved this episode. Uh, oh, shit. It's true. It's true. All right. Well, now let's fast forward back into time. My <laughs> Uh, all right, let's get to our, our picks of the week. Um, and uh, I'll start with an album that I've been listening to repeatedly for about uh, three or four days now, and that is Spoon's They Want My Soul. This is my favorite album of 2014. Um, I have been a pretty big Spoon fan since... Probably 2006 or seven. Let me look up the movie. Hang on. 
Uh, All I can think about is that you said spoon fan, and now I'm hearing that in the same uh, cadence as spoon. Man. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. So there's a little movie from 2006 that uh, I was working at the movie theater at the time and saw, starring Will Ferrell. And it is called Stranger Than Fiction. Uh, I actually really like that movie a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, so that movie was done by, or that movie's soundtrack was done by uh, Brit um, Brit Daniel, who is the uh, co-founder and like lead writer on for Spoon. So. Uh, he did the uh, entire soundtrack uh, for that. And at the end, during the credits, they had a original Spoon song that I've never heard anywhere else. And it's called The Book I Write. And I remember cleaning the theaters when like people would, you know, come out of it and whatever. And hearing that song and just immediately falling in love. And so I went and found them and I've been a fan ever since. Um. But, uh, yeah, so They Want My Soul is just full of incredible earworm songs. Like, they just get in there and they do not fucking, like, leave your head for, like, uh, like days, even. Like, they're just incredibly hooky, incredibly fun, bookwormy type uh, songs and the whole album is just, I think incredible. Very, very good. Um, yeah, go check it out. Uh, my pick of the week is a song by half an orange and a fixa called time travel Kool-Aid. Um, this song makes me literally reminisce. Um, it is such a feel good vibe. Um, and it makes me kind of, uh, reminisce about times that I've never even had. Like, it's just that kind of song. Like it takes you to a very happy place. Um, maybe makes you think about some what ifs. I don't know. It's incredibly catchy. Um, you could, you hear it on my stream all the time probably, but did, did you listen to the song, Josh? Are you laughing at me? Uh-huh. I heard you go. <laughs> oh no, that was me yawning. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I'm a. You know how hard I had to sniff to fucking get that to come through. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Um, but no. Anyway, fantastic song, half an orange and a fixa. Time travel Kool Aid. Sweet. All right. Well, here we are. We are at the end. Um, quick note, real quick. Um, we will be recording the Pokemon Legends Arceus spoiler cast this week. Um, so it will be out on all feeds, uh, roughly the same time as this, maybe sooner, maybe later. We'll see. Um, but yeah, so keep your eyes peeled for that. If you're a Pokemon fan, um, but that's it. So as always, you can find us on social media for all things, culture, Bob hunting pixels and the culture, Bob family of content. Culture, Bob is available on Twitter at culture underscore Bob on Instagram at culture underscore Bob and on YouTube. If you search culture, Bob, uh, 
I am available on Twitter at the bebopman 182 on Instagram at bebopman 182 and on Twitch at the underscore bebopman. Dylan is available on Twitter at OMDizzyTV, on Instagram at OMDizzy, on Twitch at OMDizzy, and on the YouTubes at OMDizzy. Finally, we have Austin who decided not to show his head because he hates women. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, But he is on Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, and TikTok. All of those under the moniker at Big Papa Plays. And finally, if you're looking to support the podcast or any of the endeavors we're undertaking as Culture Bob, then go to patreon.com slash Culture Bob. Toss us a pledge if you can. Uh, we're offering some very cool perks, and once we start hitting our goals, even more the content will be on its way. Uh, and with that said, it is the end of the month, or it's the last podcast of the month, so we're going to give a special shout-out to our patrons for making this pos- uh, podcast possible. And those patrons include Justin Vixen Ruiz, Shereem Fatal Khan, <laughs> Tani Damsel Salman, what the fuck is this? Senora. Oh my god. <laughs> Jeffrey Senora Scissortoe. Blake Lassie Graham. Lisa Actual XX Long. Sean Maiden O'Keefe Jr. Bryn Will Drop an XY Woodham. And Dylan Bitch Martin. <laughs> uh. Oh, Lord. Lord in heaven. What are we going to do with you? I don't know. Uh, I have too much fun with it, man. As you should. As you should. Uh, Well, yeah, that's it. That is the end of our show. So we're going to go and do some things, uh, including now Each other. Oh. Oh. I I, I was going to say sleep, but uh, yeah, I could get down for that. Yeah. Yeah. No, you can still sleep. I'll do what I want. Oh. Oh, my. (laughs) Uh, Until next time, (laughs) goodbye. (laughs) 